Welcome to Total Teen Health and Wellness, the podcast for parents of teenagers to learn more about how medical and mental health issues are affecting their teen children. This is Dr. Shauna Garza, and I'm an adolescent medicine physician, providing essential education and helpful guidance to parents of teens and young adults. This podcast encourages parents to empower their teen children to live healthy and balanced lives. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Shauna Garza, your host of Total Teen Health and Wellness. Happy New Year and welcome back to the podcast. Today on episode 23, I'm going to talk about something that we're all inundated at this time of year, and that is New Year's resolutions surrounding diet and weight. We hear New Year, New You, we see ads promoting different weight loss programs, weight loss foods, dieting, and that's something that our teens are hearing as well. So today, the topic is, why are diets not good for teens? There are a lot of medical reasons, and there are also a lot of risk reasons that relate to the risk of eating disorders in teens that diet. So the diet industry targets teens, just like adults, through social media and different marketing strategies. Social media is a big one. So when teens are on TikTok, Instagram, maybe even Snapchat, they are getting ads for targeted weight loss programs that may interest them and that are really geared towards teens. There are apps that are marketed as fitness apps and as wellness apps, all about being healthy, creating a new you, which is a healthier you, many of these things I'm saying with air quotes around them. Um, And these are apps like Noom. You all have heard of Noom. It has been marketed through podcasts, through social media, and it is marketed as a wellness health app. Well, when teens get on that app and put in their goals such as weight loss, it essentially is a diet app. There is one called My Fitness Pal that's also marketed in the same way for fitness tracking and for wellness goals, but teens can put in the goal of weight loss and it gives guidance around diets that would lead to weight loss. Weight Watchers has rebranded itself as WW. You may have seen that in marketing. And they came up with an app a couple years ago to a lot of scrutiny called Kerbo, which was specifically designed for children and teens. Since then, they have backtracked the access for children to access the app directly. But it still is used in the teen years and is directed towards them. So the diet industry sees the market in the teen population and has designed apps specifically to target them and place ads for their diet programs within the social media that they are using. Again, they may be marketed for wellness, but essentially they are for weight loss. They all work to restrict nutritional intake and set up rigid rules around eating. For example, a patient may say, I want to lose 10 pounds. On the apps, they would put their height and current weight and age, and it would essentially give them a meal plan 
are surrounding the amount of calories they should be eating per day. And that would be a limited amount of calories below what their body really needs to be growing and developing. And so again, it's restricting their intake, which essentially sets them up for developing eating disorders, and also creates this idea that we need to have a lot of rules around food and eating, which is not a healthy and balanced way to see food. Restrictive eating is a concern because naturally we want patients to be aware of their hunger cues. We want them to eat in a balanced way where they are able to listen to those hunger cues and follow them and eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full. This is something that we work on from infancy on, really. And so teens that are starting to make more decisions around their food where they're independent with their friends and away from family, they may not have good a sense of their hunger when they are restricting. Restriction actually turns that internal reflex off because the body doesn't know what to think. They're not providing the body with the nutrition it needs, and so they may not feel hungry. Restrictive eating, which is what dieting is, has been shown time and again to be a risk factor for developing eating disorders and even what we call disordered eating, which are kind of these precursory behaviors and thoughts that lead to eating disorders. Whenever a patient has rigid rules around meals and snacks, that can often backfire because essentially in order to implement rules and rigidity around eating, there has to be a lot of control, which requires a lot of mental energy and even physical energy. And often patients are not able to maintain that, and that leads to disordered eating. Labeling foods as good or bad can really create a problem for teens. And sometimes in families, they don't realize the effect that labeling foods as good or bad can have on their teen. Those bad foods may be considered forbidden foods, and so then patients will find ways to get those foods through hiding, through sneaking foods, um, even eating in secret, um, binge eating, and all of this is followed by a lot of guilt and shame, which is the emotional component that can lead to eating disorders. And for families that are, say, dieting as a group or having some type of weight loss challenge or diet challenge, children and teens often want what's considered bad or forbidden. And so that, again, just creates a lot of imbalance and an unhealthy way of seeing food and nutrition and eating in general. Children who diet definitely develop disordered eating at a much higher rate. One half of teenage girls have used unhealthy weight control behaviors. And what that refers to is skipping meals, fasting, taking laxatives, over-exercising, vaping in order to suppress their appetite, and even purging in the form of vomiting. That's shocking when you think about all teenage girls that we encounter in adolescent medicine and all of the teenage girls that you may know in your own families and communities. 
nearly one-third of teenage boys have used an unhealthy weight control behavior. So these are things that stem from the desire to lose weight, which often starts with a diet. The influences on what a patient will weigh is very complex. It's not just diet and exercise that impact a patient's weight. We know that so much of it is genetic. There is natural diversity in the size of patients' bodies. That includes their height, their shoe size, their nose, their color of their hair, the color of their eyes. So much of who we are in our physical bodies is genetic, and that does include weight, which relates to a patient's build and frame, as well as what their family members look like. We also know that it is natural and expected for teens to gain weight through the puberty process. I've talked before on prior episodes about what normal puberty is, and it is a process that takes several years for both boys and girls. Through that time, there is tremendous growth and increase in weight and height. And so often for teens, as they're transitioning through puberty and those changes, they may be concerned about the numbers that they're seeing on the scale, even though that is really where their body should be and is a normal and expected part of their body growing. So dieting in the teen years can lead to lots of physical issues that sometimes are irreversible or may be very difficult to treat even years later. Because so much growth is happening during those years, they really are critical years. There are concerns with malnutrition, how that can affect the body's development, and patients can have very significant vitamin and nutritional deficiencies that have long-lasting effect on their development. Patients may even have stunted growth, that their height gain is less than expected because of malnutrition and being underweight for their age. They may have delayed puberty, which affects the reproductive function in girls where they're not having periods until they're 16, 17, which is abnormal and can affect patients' hormones and their later fertility. They can have irregular periods that stop where they've had a period and then they start losing weight and they have a cessation of periods, which also is going to reflect a, an imbalance in their hormones and a problem with their reproductive system. One of the real concerns we have in patients that have these hormone issues and have significant vitamin deficiencies is that they can develop osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is thin, brittle bones that is associated typically with older age. These are typically patients after age 60 in women as they've gone through menopause, their hormone levels change and their bones become weaker and brittle and they have an increased risk of fracture. These are not problems that we expect to see in young people. So the reason that this affects young people that lose weight and that are malnourished is because the bones are growing rapidly during childhood 
and the teen years. We know bones are getting longer, right, as patients get taller, but they're also building bone density. And that peaks in the early 20s, especially for girls. So when girls are at an age of building bone density, but they are having issues with their periods, they're having vitamin deficiencies through following restrictive diets that have not met their nutritional needs, they have a risk for osteoporosis. And this is something that I have diagnosed in young patients as young as 15 years old. So this is a real concern because we don't know how their bones are going to look in another 15 years when they're still young adults and with hoping to have their own families and all of the goals they would have for their adult life may be affected through being underweight, through weight loss that all occurred because of dieting. For children and teens, almost every approach to dieting has a problem with it. If a diet supplies too few calories through calorie restriction, which would be, like I mentioned on the new map, that gives guidance to eat 1,200 calories per day in order to lose weight, even if they eat those 1,200 calories in a balanced way as far as bringing in all the macronutrients that their body needs, they can still have stunted growth and development, especially in girls as it relates around delayed puberty and starting their period. Diets that are low in protein can block the growth of muscle and inhibit muscle growth. While diets that have too little fat can block the absorption of certain essential vitamins. So patients can have very significant deficiencies in what are called fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K. Patients that are underweight with a low percentage of body fat during their teen years often have weakened immune systems, and that can lead them to have more frequent and persistent infections and inflammatory processes that can affect every system in their body. I've had patients with abnormal liver tests, for example, that we realize is due to inflammation in the body from being underweight. One type of diet that has been very popular over the last many years and is often promoted through different apps and different diet programs are low-carb diets. There is no role for low-carb dieting in teens and children. One of the main reasons is that the main source of fuel for the brain are carbs. The brain needs glucose in order to function. And during the teen years, the brain is developing and growing and maturing. And so when it lacks the fuel that it needs, it does not develop as expected and where it should be at for the patient's age. So essentially, the body needs carbs to have energy and for the body to function at its best ability. And so when patients are cutting out 
carbs like potatoes, which provide a lot of vitamins or other grains that give them other vitamins that can really affect their energy levels and can affect their brain function. So many low carb diets affect concentration, learning, school performance, and being able to think clearly. Um, I've heard so many patients come in with these different low carb plans that are having many mental health issues and school issues that I believe are tied directly to their nutritional issues and being malnourished through eating too few carbs. When teens diet, it promotes many body image issues. It leads patients to yo-yo dieting and ultimately is a significant risk factor for developing eating disorders. We also know that being on a restrictive or fad diet doesn't teach children and teens how to eat in a healthy, balanced way. And those are really skills that they need to develop in their teen years as they're becoming independent and making more decisions for themselves so that they can rely on those skills in adulthood to eat adequately and in a balanced way really for their life. Again, I know this is a lot to think about, but I thought it was very relevant at this time of year as we're hearing about different diet and weight loss trends and goals for the new year. And again, explaining why diets are not a good idea for teens. I'm going to have a follow-up episode talking about what we can do as parents to help normalize the talk around food and really guide our teens and my teen patients to eat in a balanced and healthy way. I look forward until next time. Thanks for listening today. If this episode helped you better understand the health of your teen and you're ready to learn more, please subscribe to hear future episodes of this podcast. Consider sharing it with other parents of teenagers. And remember, parents can help their teens live healthy and balanced lives. Thank you.